0: Well, this morning we are putting a book in on the Ten Commandments. Who is excited to stop talking about all of your sinning, right? No, we are thankful that we can gather this morning and put a bookend uh, on the Ten Commandments. And then, uh, so when we've looked at the Ten Commandments, uh, this morning we're going to look at the significance of why God would put this commandment at the end. Because last time I checked, murder's a big deal, right? Um, Worshiping other gods is a big deal. But coveting? Like, what's going on here? So we've seen in the first four commandments, the Lord is pointing out how we must live out the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind and strength. Then in the and then the next five commandments, we see God direct the Israelites uh, to the second greatest commandment, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm struck by this quote by Kevin D. Young in his book, The Ten Commandments. He says this The command not to covet is the practical summation and heart level culmination of the other nine commandments. But here's the thing about coveting, and we're going to learn this morning. Nobody knows when you're doing it. Isn't that great? You're wrong. God knows. (laughs) He knows when I'm coveting in my heart. I had this friend growing up. Um, his, uh, we, we were literally from birth were put together, um, and we hung out together. My mom and his mom were like best friends. Um, I went through, so I'm not going to go through this, but I homeschooled, public schooled, homeschooled, public schooled, and then went public school for the rest. So it's, I'm pretty dysfunctional in that regard. Uh, but in this process, Johnny would do this with me too. He'd go public school, private school, public school, or uh, homeschool, school. Uh, and then, then we hit this fork in the road um, when we were about seventh or eighth grade, about eighth grade. We're in public school. Um, he had just started back public school as well, and we learned that girls are cute, like that's awesome. Uh, and then something happened. He picked up a guitar. Uh Everything changed at that point. It got really bad. Um, he learned on, uh, on the guitar, uh, and if you don't remember this, uh, does anybody remember the band Extreme and the song More Than Words? No chance. No chance. We would go to school and start hearing these rumors. It's hilarious to talk about now. He would hear these rumors about how Johnny would call the girls in middle school play extreme (laughs) more than words over the phone to them and all the girls loved it guess who didn't love it me how can i compete with this Listen to some of the lyrics in More Than Words. I don't even know what Extreme is saying here, but one says, Talk to you and make you understand. All you have to do is close your eyes and just reach out your hands and touch me. Hold me close. Don't ever let me go. More Than Words is all I ever needed to show. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. How do I compete with that? I can't compete with, like, come on, Johnny. Like, literally, the waters were parting amongst the dudes and then Johnny and the chicks. Right? So I'm going home. Like, I can't compete with his Tommy Hilfiger shirts and jeans against my Goody's duckhead shirts and my Lee jeans. Like, I had no chance. And then his Washburn guitar and all the girls talking about, like, did you call Johnny last night? Did he play the song for you? Oh my gosh, I like, could totally just throat punch Johnny, right? And so uh, literally the funniest thing was is that we stopped talking. We still don't, like, he's like in California now. You might remember the Subaru commercial and they're like staring at the road and then there's the dirt road to the left? Anybody know that commercial? If you don't, YouTube it. It was 2019, like he goes and then he comes out of the water and there's like the this deliverance act scene where it's like, hey there guys, or something like that. you know what I'm talking about? That's Johnny. That's him. I, I promise you, that is Johnny in the commercials. And like, literally, he became an actor. And that's Johnny in the Subaru commercials. And I know why it happened. He learned extreme on the guitar. And I didn't, right? I did nothing with my life. He got to be in a Subaru commercial he had the big Tommy Hilfiger shirts and the big old buckle loop with Hilfiger on the back. Man, this guy, this kid had it. And guess who grieved it the most? That he had what I didn't. It was me. I hated that Johnny could play guitar. I hated that all the girls wanted to talk to him and have him play guitar. He would even do it in front of me when we'd spend the night at his house. This dude was nuts. If you're watching this, Johnny, I forgive you. I forgive you. No, I don't know, right? I don't know. But this sin of coveting is this deep struggle with us that we begin to desire something more than God, right? We, it, it is the summation, the culmination of the other nine commandments. And when you begin to process this, to, we begin to process this together, it completely derails us from what Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says. It is this deep root of idolatry in you and I's hearts. When God calls us to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and that this is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. There is nothing that distracts us from loving our neighbor more than when we're coveting what they have or what we want more than God. God is saying a lot in this passage to you and I this morning. So much. He's revealing to you and I that He longs and wants our hearts, desires to love Him above all things. He wants to be, uh, us to be arrested by Him. And in response to this, he, he is calling us to then be benevolent to our neighbors. This means we're called to be well-meaning, kind, compassionate, caring and considerate, f- being thoughtful to one another, gracious and forgiving and unselfish to our neighbors. When I told you my story about Johnny, this is none of the stuff that's coming out of me. I'm like one to start karate lessons because I'm going to beat them up, right? But for the Israelites, living these words should be out of a response for what the Lord has done for them. He's like, look what I have done, and this is how I want you to respond, uh, my people. The Lord rescued them out of slavery from the Egyptians and making and keeping His promise to them as they broke it over and over and over again See on this side of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, you and I's response to this commandment is we should we should be uh, we should uh, our response to this commandment should be out of thankfulness, out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you and I. I would argue in the tenth commandment, like the Lord is being so gracious to warn the Israelites out of coveting. because this seed of desire bursts in births in our hearts the desire for the israelites and you and I to break the other nine commandments like it 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 begins deep within our heart and then when we see something our neighbor has that we would love to have when we don't really love to have God who, who longs, who, who desperately wants us and is pursuing us, there is this wicked and nasty thing that births in our hearts. So why gracious? Like we can't forget about the state of the Israelites are in. Like we've gone through the nine commandments and now we are at the 10th, but like, listen, they're not very far removed from slavery to Pharaoh and Egypt. And also, no one is looking at their neighbor in this moment because they're not at this point of wealth. They have not inherited a lot of wealth. That they have that they are God is moving them in the direction of making a people and a nation for himself. But like none of them are going like, dang man, look at Ishael's donkeys. Look at all those oxen he's got. Or look at Ruth's business and all the employees that she has. Look how successful they are. God, why couldn't you do that for me? But see, God knew in time many of His people would grow into wealth. And as He graciously brought them further away from slavery and into the land of Israel. The fact that He would set them and tell them that this struggle, is it's there because they're sinful, they're broken, they're wicked people. They still want to rebel and sin against God. They want to grumble against Him. But in, in reality, He knows this is going to be a major issue For my people. But didn't the Israelites have a track record of forgetting what God had done? They would whine and complain to the Lord in the wilderness as they journeyed to the promised land. The Lord had had even heard his people asking to go back to Egypt. They were grumbling and discontent saying we had it better here. So coveting was already birthing in their hearts that, like they were so willing to go back to their enemies and say, "They provided for us better there. We we knew everything was going to be available to us." God's desire is for us not to covet the things of our neighbors, but to covet Him. He wants us to be consumed with Him. He wants our deepest desires to be Him. My wife's been gone since Thursday. I'm going to say that again. My wife's been gone since Thursday. I am alone. I have, I'm, I'm going to drive the kids to Orange Beach. I am. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it. It may be 10 o'clock. We may take 14 stops. Just so I can reach over and get a snack. Because I don't need to do that while I'm driving. As I've been told. I'll pull over. To say I'm looking at all of you and know that your spouse was with you all week, most of the, not even like more than two or three days, right? I'm not gonna lie. Kind of coveting y'all right now. You and your, everybody's home, right? But see, even this week, man, I have not desired God well. I have been in survival mode. I have been, man, it would be great if my wife could be here. But then let me put it on the flip side the flip side is this for you and I it's this tension of like my wife does this every day so I don't think the issue is that I was left for a few days without my wife I think the issue is is that I'm selfish I love my time and I love what I want more than I love to just be who I'm called to be right I uh, yesterday was a tough day in the house like we were we were Man, it was full throttle, full throttle. I really, I hugged Colton and I said, hey, did you have a good day? This is his response. He goes, uh, I go, yeah, it's been kind of a hard day, hasn't it, buddy? I said, we've really had to work hard to get the house ready in order because look, this is how incredible my wife was. All I had to do was a checklist. She had done 75% of it and her literally just keep the kids alive, Complete the checklist, get them in the car, you should be good. Right? I mean, it's not been that difficult, but yesterday was a hard day. Can I get an amen, boys? Amen. <laughs> R- Rylan looked at me one moment and he goes, uh, I really wish you wouldn't yell like that. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry, buddy. Right? But this tension of at the end of the day, like, man, I was coveting my wants, my desires, my pleasures, my afternoon nap, right? I didn't get the golf Thursday, I typically do. Like all these things. It was, just, it, was, it was so much God revealing to me just in the last short seventy two hours that mean I have not. I have not desired you well. I have not desired you like you desire me. I've been consumed with myself. And listen to Romans 1, 21 through 25. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. And we've talked about this passage, but I think it's re- it, is, it is helpful for us to recognize, like, where is the root? What is going on? Is it, it did not, That they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Listen to verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and served the creature rather than creator. Continuing on Romans uh, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice they are full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossip slanders, haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless rootless though they knew god though they know god's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them did you hear that they he that the lord in his gracious, graciousness graciousness Put covetousness next to evil and malice and, and on further down in envy, murder, strife, deceit, malicious. God is extremely concerned for you and I when we are coveting something other than Him. That He would put it next to the greatest commandment. Because He knows that when you and I are coveting, we are desiring something other than Him. What does it say about us? I mean, our sinful desires of our hearts drive us to the sin of covetedness. Just about each week we've looked back to the garden. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God. A command was given to not eat of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then Satan disguises a serpent. He tempted Adam and Eve. Listen to this in Genesis 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So, what was the covetous desire for Adam and Eve? They began to desire what was God's, his throne. They began to believe this lie that they would be like God, meaning that Adam and Eve would be their own God. And that they would determine what is right from wrong. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. James 1.14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and, when, and, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I know you thought I was done with Johnny. But did you see what happened to our relationship? It died. Why? Because I was desiring things. Of the things that he had. Johnny grew up in a really wealthy family. He didn't seem to have some of the problems that I had. Sure would be nice to live in Johnny's house. Should be nice to have the girls wanting to talk to me like that. Wish I could do those kind of things that Johnny can do. See, I thought it would give me life if I love that more than my creator. But in, in turn, what it actually led to was, was, was a form of death. But here's the tension of the 10th commandment for you and I. What, is this, what does this? What does say about us? Is that no one knows or has a clue of your sinful desires? Some of you could have literally drove in the in, in into our church gathering in our parking lot this morning. And go, man! I, I really wish I had. Really wish I had a ninety-seven Land Cruiser. Yeah, I know. I know that's what some of y'all want, right? Mike Llewellyn understands, right? But see, some of you could be deeply struggling with something in your heart right now that is completely robbing you of the freedom. See, covenantness is, I would argue, is a form of bondage. It's a form of bondage where you just, you become absolutely arrested and paralyzed by this thing that you think you must have to survive. But I will tell you this. One day you, if you do not repent of the covetedness, you will act on it. And my concern is is that some of you will, will, will be able to grasp that thing and it will put you to death, or it will put something around you to death. But let me tell you this, church. You may be living this secret and doing it really well and moving the chess pieces in all the right places, and no one sees your fourth, fifth, sixth move on the table, but God does. He knows. He knows where you and I have pointed our heart at every breath of our life. He knows what we love more than Him. He knows that we're desiring something more than Him. Covenants is one's heart's desire for the neighbor's gifts, their assets that have come from the Lord. One's health, their house, their car, their job, their friend, toys, athleticism, maybe their farm, I don't know, their life, all the vacations they take, their children's behavior over your children's, a physique, someone's spouse. But this list is driven out, I would argue, of three things. First is one's desire for the, for their neighbor's things. Some of you know people who buy a house and the moment they move into it, they're like, Pff, I don't like this house. I'm gonna sell it. Because they thought that house would, would, would give them what they wanted, but it was all birthed out of another house they saw their neighbor have or their friend have. Look how happy their life is since they moved into that house. Well, obviously, if I could get a house like that too, my life would be happy too. Look. No. I would argue sometimes a house is unnecessary work. Like, who has a to-do list that's 20 20 things long? And you're like, ugh, that's me, right? Like, homeownership's cool and all, and it's great, it's a good asset, but... It ain't going to fix your problems, I promise. And a 97 Land Cruiser won't either, I promise that. It's littered with problems, it's old. But what of those things that your neighbor has that you're pursuing, other than Jesus? Secondly, covetedness is birthed out of a discontentment of the Lord's provision Discontentment of the Lord's provision. It's this thought that God owes me. God could do better for me, but he's holding back. James 4.2 says this about want and coveting. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. I would argue that many of you are asking God to bless you, to satisfy your discontentment with the things of this world rather than Him. Number three, some of you are just angry towards the situation that the Lord has you in. And the only way you can escape is have this fantasy you live out this fantasy in your head and you're just, I mean, like literally if, if coveting was dead bodies, they'd be everywhere because everywhere you turn, you're like, could that, that probably, Hey, that's nice. That'd probably make me happier. If only like, okay, confession time. Yes. When things are going crazy in our home, when, which is the last few days, you know, I mean, like my head's been like, man, a round of golf would be really good right now. Right? Cause there will not be no answer to right or my wife and I are just like oh my goodness gosh remember that trip that we took let's go do that again right come on we, we we all it doesn't make it okay i'm not saying that but but we all have been in this place more times than we would like to admit when we get to the application i hope it will help you process these three things. covetousness is a secret sin that no one will see. Coveting leads you and I to escape into a fantasy. But it also exposes where all evil things come from. Mark seven twenty-one: From within, for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Well, if that neighbor wouldn't have bought that car, I wouldn't have struggled with that. That's not the problem. You know, if that that boss didn't show favoritism to that employee... They, I would have gotten that job promotion. That's not the problem. I'm convinced you and I are the most distracted and furthest away from the mission of God when we're coveting in our heart. Let me say that again. I'm convinced you and I are the most distracted and furthest away from the mission of God when we are coveting in our heart. We cannot be faithful disciples when we are lost in our heart's pursuit for our neighbor's stuff, their success, possessions, pleasures. We are not faithful disciples when we are lost in our heart's pursuit of contentment in this world. If you are going to go to college and pursue a certain degree, I'm telling you, it's not going to fix your discontentment, it's not going to fix the issues that you've experienced in your life. I know somebody who's a pharmacist right now making truckloads of money. And guess what? He's unhappy. He thought it would fix it. But he's not even willing to acknowledge what needs to be fixed. Thirdly, we can't be faithful disciples when our our hearts are lost in our bitterness towards God because of where he has us. Hear me, I am no qualified to speak on this topic. Like, this has been awful to prepare for. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like one of our pastors says this quite regularly. It's like, ugh, like, I'm only preaching to myself, right? But when we are covetous, we miss the opportunity to be intimate with God, okay? What's the consequence? We miss the opportunity to be intimate with God. And we miss the opportunity to love our neighbor. It is not wrong to desire things. It's not. It's okay to desire things. It's okay to own a car. It's okay to have to, to, to buy a car. It's okay to buy a house. It's okay to have two homes. Like what? I know people have two homes and they use it for just the sake of giving people escapes. To be able to just go without the financial obligation I mean, if you are connected to any type of things with IMB missionaries, IMB missionaries cannot be able to get the release from the stress, the trauma, the tension of being on the mission field without people of wealth having more than one thing. My buddy who's a missionary in East Asia, he'd like drive down to Atlanta or Alabama and pick up a car and all of it would be paid for for his family to be able to be stateside. I'm sure the Vanderpools, you can connect to this, right? And when we desire things, though, we should long and aspire for desires, though, that are holy and pleasing to God, that will allow us to be used by Him through a job promotion, a home so we can have a place to live missionally, to host a missional community in it. Or well, so you can continue to join God in His work. You may not go to the mission field; that's okay. But guess what? Jesus has made some of your pockets this big to be able to fund that, and that's that's good and pleasing to God. Kevin DeYoung says this, and I should have put this quote on the on the these the wall whatever, the Bible says, this is, Kevin DeYoung says this, the Bible says our problem is not problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong things or desire good things in the wrong way. He quotes C.S. Lewis, who famously put it, the problem is not that we desire too much, but that we desire too little, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We want fleeting worldly pleasures, but God doesn't say to us, shame on you for wanting things. He says, I can give you something much better and more lasting than all the world's trivial trinkets. So I challenge you to ask this question this morning. Are my desires birthed out of a sinful craving for my neighbors things is it is it birthed out of discontentment or is it birthed out of bitterness and anger at God because i think he owes me something okay let's get some good news what has jesus done Jesus has come to satisfy our heart's deepest desires that this world cannot fulfill no matter what can be gained in this world. Listen to what Jesus has come to do. Breathe this in. He's come to release us from the sin that has so easily entangled us and that has arrested us from years of addiction. You're like, well, I never drank smoke. Or did drugs. No, no, no. Addiction of status. Addiction of wealth. Addiction of pornography. Addiction of success. The list can go on and on and on. He has come to remove the chains of sin we are shackled to in our hearts he's come to bring reconciliation to our broken relationships he's come to bring hope to a hopeless world he's come to give us a heart of thankfulness and the list could go on and on but he has come to give us contentment contentment See, when we're tempted to covet our neighbor's stuff, remember Jesus was tempted to receive and possess all the kingdoms of this world if he would exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship sin, Satan, and death. And he overcame that temptation, Luke 4, 5-8. through The devil took him. He took him up showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time and said to him to you I will give you all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will if you then will worship me it will all be yours and Jesus answered him it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve Jesus overcame what you and I could not Hebrews 4:15 We do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. No temptation could come close to replacing the authority, knowledge, and... And power that Christ has that we read about in Colossians 1. Listen to what Jesus knew in the midst of this temptation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. In in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him listen to reconcile to himself what? all things right? good news whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross to then in his power of his cross redeem you from being Colossians 1 He's redeemed you by the power of the cross from being what it says in Colossians 1. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation and under heaven, and which I, Paul, became a Minister. You're in Christ. You are no longer alienated. You're no longer hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but because of Christ, He has reconciled you. You can't fix your covetousness. You can't. But Christ has and can and will. He will completely transform your affections. So that when you covet in Christ, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and He reminds you of who is King. He reminds you of what He has done. And He reminds you of what He's going to do. The gift of salvation from Christ crucified far outweighs anything we could gain from our neighbor by way of acting on our covetousness of the heart. So what should be our response? I would argue to find the sin of coveting, uh, we must acknowledge three things. To fight, excuse me, to fight the sin of coveting, we must acknowledge three things. First, first, To fight back sin, Satan, and death, lies of covetousness, we must use the weapon of thankfulness and gratitude for God's provision in this life and the life to come. Satan has many schemes, but one of the sharpest arrows is the arrow of doubt. He wants us to live a life of discontentment and anxiousness, which leads to questioning God's plan of provision. Matthew six twenty-five through thirty-four. Therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He continues on in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father, listen, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, to fight back sin, to fight back Satan and death's lies of covetousness, we must recognize what we have to be thankful for. We have the cross, we have the empty tomb, and we have a risen Lord who stands at the right hand of God, interceding on your behalf, who knows your ever-waking need. So when you are caught in the sin of coveting, look back. Look back to what Christ has done. Some of you need to pause and actually be thankful for what your neighbor has rather than be be angry at what you don't have. This is such a struggle in my heart. Absolute struggle. Look at all that they have, and I put it all on me. I think it, it. I put me at the center, and I go, "Look at all they have. Wish I had that." God, why didn't I get that? Look what you did for them. Instead of going, "I'm so thankful that you." trusted them with those things and I pray that they will use them and you will continue to equip them so they may be used for your glory. Some of you need to pause and be thankful for what others have rather than be bitter on the things that you don't have. Secondly, only Jesus can truly fulfill our discontentment and give us ultimate contentment of eternal life in God. Only Jesus can truly fulfill our discontentment and give us ultimate contentment of eternal life in God. S- Timothy 6, 6-12, through 12, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, church. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about, which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Only Jesus can give you this. Only Jesus can truly fulfill your discontentment and give you ultimate contentment of eternal life in God. Lastly, because of what Jesus has done for us, we can be thankful in all things and receive His strength. Philippians 4, 11-13, it reads this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, not that I am speaking of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is not about scoring touchdowns, okay? This isn't about hitting the game-winning home run or hitting the last-second shot at the buzzer, okay? So you kids, college kids are going to become professional uh, intramural athletes. Don't get it tattooed on your wrist or your shoulder, okay? It's not the point. Paul's in chains. Paul is in chains. He is shackled. He's facing death. It is looming. It's not that it's like near. He can smell it. And he's saying that I can face this because of who the one who is strengthening me. And I have learned that in Christ I can be content in every situation He's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And the secret is that it is Christ who is carrying him. Is Christ carrying you this morning? Because in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, if he is not, listen to this, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Are you boasting in what you have? By what you've attained through coveting? Or are you boasting all the more of your weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon you this morning? My prayer for you, church, my prayer for me this morning is that we realize that these things in this world will not come close to satisfying and touching the good news of knowing Christ as King. And I pray that we will live hearts of thankfulness and gratitude, even when we have little. And even when everybody else has everything else. But listen. If you're in Christ, you know what it tastes like to have the things of this world. And hopefully those things disgust you. And for those that are in this room and do not know Christ, are you tired of coming up empty in your pursuit of the things of this world? If you're tired, it's because God is being gracious to show you that those things will not satisfy. Only He can satisfy. And He wants to do that in your hearts this morning. He wants to do that in my heart this morning. And He wants us to know that He is the only one who can transform and satisfy our heart's desires. So let us pray.